This is Market Scales Knowledge is Power with your host, Brandon Fluger. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Knowledge is Power. We'll be exploring several topics that shed light on one particular leader's pivotal moments in his exciting career, major learning moments he's had along the way, and how his leadership has helped shape the way drones are being used in indoor tactical circumstances. It's going to be really exciting. Um, and as always, you'll want to stick around for the end as we have a special sign-off before next week's episode. Um, joining me today is Brett Kanda, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Brink Drones, who designs and manufactures advanced indoor-outdoor tactical UAVs for SWAT teams around the world. Prior to joining Brink, he managed FLIR's commercial UAS business, was responsible for global sales, software partnerships, and policy. Before working with FLIR, he was the Director of Business Development for the Nevada Institute for Autonomous Systems and the FAA-designated Nevada UAS test site. He owned a a drone service provider company for three years prior to working for the FAA. He is an FAA Part 107 pilot and Level 1 certified thermographer. So, everyone, welcome Brett Kanda, and uh, we're in for a really exciting episode here. So, Brett... Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. I want to peel back a few layers and learn, you know, what has shaped you into the strong leader you are and go back, you know, as far as you'd like, because I know you have a really interesting background that spans more, believe it or not, than what I just uh, talked about there. Yeah. So thanks so much for having me, Brandon. And I'm excited to be here and, and chat with you. Um, so I've been in the drone industry since since 2013. However, uh, my background and, and my experience is, is far different uh, than the majority of the people in our industry. Uh, most come from an engineering background, a technology background. Um, and I actually uh, tried to get a golf ball in a hole faster than everybody else for a living. So uh, I, I played professional golf uh, for, for about four years before getting into the drone industry. But uh, prior to that, uh, I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, my dad is a dentist. My mom's a dental hygienist. Uh, I have a younger brother and, uh, my, my grandfather is the one who got me into golf. So, uh, age of four, um, I, I picked up a golf club for the first time left-handed actually. Uh, and he was a bit old school. So he made me switch that and, uh, move to the other side of the ball and, and try golf right-handed. So from the minute I started at age four, uh, that was what I loved to do. Uh, and it's what I always did. So um, I probably started playing tournaments at the age of eight or nine, right around there. Um, and and golf was what I did, uh, what I loved, and and what I thought my future was going to be. Um, so you know, played uh, uh, golf in high school golf in Southern California with with a lot of the guys that you hear every day on the PGA Tour. Uh, ultimately, ended up deciding to come play college golf at UNLV here in Las Vegas. And uh, I haven't left Vegas, so I've I've been here since I was about 18 years old, and um, played collegiately for for five years at UNLV. I redshirted my first year. Um, I was captain my senior year, um, and uh, had had an absolute blast, um, and, and loved every minute of it. So I played the the NCAA championship in uh, May of 2010, and, and turned pro immediately. Um, and that was is, is what I always had wanted to do. So. Um, that's, that's a little bit about my, my background and, um, here we are today. Amazing. I'm I'm excited to dig in a little bit more to the pivot, um, obviously from professional sports world to professional business world. I know there's so many 
executives out there that have a sporting background or at least grew up playing some sort of competitive if they maybe didn't make the professional ranks were high level NCAA uh, college athletes but um, excited to learn about that. I think when we peel back a few layers and learn about Brett Kanda here uh, and we learn about this professional background in golf starting at age four Thank goodness for your grandfather switching you to the right-handed clubs made it easier for everyone to to coach you and teach you. Um, I'm sure folks in the drone world uh, might obviously find that interesting, but I'm sure you've also got colleagues, friends that um, are really interested to hear more about the drone side. You know, you've got your license, you've got certifications, you are now a thought leader. People come to you um, for knowledge and expertise, and you even work in policy. Um, so I'm excited to dig into that a little bit as well, but I um, want to take it back just from the beginning. Um, talk about that pivot from sports to business. How did you get started in marketing, and what's really changed over time for you? I know you're in business, development, sales, and marketing, and it all kind of intertwines there, but tell us a little bit how you got started. Yeah, sure. So, uh, playing golf, I, I would say my intro to quote unquote marketing was was definitely as I was transitioning out of college golf and, and getting ready to turn pro. Because um, as you may know, being a professional golfer is not a cheap endeavor. Um, it is very, very expensive. You have to find investors uh, and, and backers to have you go out and try and fulfill your dream. So kind of my my junior and senior year of college as I was uh, getting ready and starting to think about the next phase in, in my professional career, I had to start talking, uh, pitching, um, trying to convince uh, people that I had met in the golf industry to ultimately, um, you know, provide some funding for me to to go out and try and pursue my dream. So when you talk about marketing, I mean, uh, I think that's probably where it started. It, that makes a lot of sense, right? Where uh, here's this guy who's who's played golf his whole life, but um, you need to convince these people that you have what it takes and, and you're going to be able to go out there and perform because it is a huge risk on their end. Um, so I would say that's probably where the marketing aspect started. But um, my kind of affinity and love for business that I have now um, was probably developed quite a bit earlier than that. So being being in the golf world and growing up at a golf course, I was fortunate enough to be around a lot of business leaders. Um, and a lot of very, very successful uh, entrepreneurs. And um, I think that there is absolutely a direct correlation between golf and business. And I've always taken that perspective um, every day. And the way that I approached golf and uh, the fact that I wasn't going to be able to be a professional golfer if I had a huge weakness. Um, if there was something that I wasn't good at in my game, that would be exposed. I wouldn't be able to make a living. I wouldn't be able to perform and, and play at the highest level. So uh, what I was always taught growing up, and this is through amazing coaches, um, sports psychologists, uh, you, you name it, was that um, you always have to attack your weaknesses. Now, that, that's a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, but in golf, if you have a weakness, you have a problem. So I was always trying to improve where I, I struggled and, and get better in certain areas of the game that didn't come quite as natural. And I, I really take that exact same approach to business um, with a small caveat. I'm a firm believer now that you need to 
in business, focus and pursue the things that you're good at, number one, and the things that you enjoy, number two. Great example, working in a startup now, you know, I'm doing anything from cleaning the back of house for manufacturing to cleaning the front desk to sending out a million dollar proposal, right? So there is a huge wide array of things that need to be done in a startup. And I think that that mentality that I have from golf uh, very easily translated over to the business world. Uh, I, I don't see how you could run a successful business without knowing every aspect of the business, right? Uh, I mean, I think that if you have no knowledge of the simplest things, HR, admin, uh, accounting, uh, marketing, sales, manufacturing, engineering, every piece is every piece of, of the business, for example, at Brink Drones, all ties into a bigger picture. It's no different in golf. If I can't chip, there's going to be a big problem on a Sunday with pressure, right? Um, so I always had to work on, you know, driving the golf ball, hitting good long irons, hitting good wedges, hitting good short game shots, making putts, being good mentally, being good physically. All of these different things that you have to do to perform at a high level, it's pretty much the same thing, except I don't have to be in physically good shape anymore. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's quite a bit of a change. But, um, you know, as I peel back the layers, I also had a really supportive family, um, growing up, which is incredibly helpful. I think maybe that's part of what it takes. Um, uh, I'm very self-aware in the things that I know and that I don't know. Um, I work for an unbelievably high tech company. The people that I work around are, are so bright. Um, unbelievable engineers, so technically savvy. And I'm the first one to sit here and say, I don't have an engineering bone in my body. I struggle to build things around my house and fix things around my house. Like my wife is going to be the first one that gives me a hard time of trying to like fix things around the house. I have none of that in me. Um, I also don't have a creative bone in my body. So it's funny that we talk about marketing. Uh, I think that the reason I've been able to be okay at marketing um, is that I know people that have those skills that are that are really good creatively. They they know what speaks to people, um, and in a an industry like the drone industry that is highly technical, I think it really helps me to not have a technical background because I can translate the the extremely technical things that are happening in the drone or in the uh, software, whatever, and I can dumb that down very easily. I can I can translate that technical language over to somebody who has no idea what's going on in drone. Um, so yeah, I, I think all of those factors, um, growing up and, and learning different lessons, all of, all of tr kind of translated to where I am today. Yeah. No, you, you mentioned, um, an interesting uh, point there, you know, having to, you know, man the front desk, uh, take the trash out. Um, you know, you're in the back of, of the, uh, the warehouse working in the back. Uh, reminds me of a story. I think it was um, JFK. There's a famous story about JFK. I uh, was going. Uh, they were working at NASA, or he was going through the hallway at NASA and um, asked the janitor a yes. famous question. Um, and and the janitor responded, "Well, Mr. President, I'm helping us go to the moon, <laughs> or something along those lines." So it, it's a team effort, um, yes. and all for one, one for all. So can certainly yeah. appreciate that and. Uh, it's that, that bigger goal, especially at a smaller company that's, or, mm -hmm. or a younger company that's just starting up. So, um, or, no, it's interesting. Or, 
and, and dumbing things down, like you said, authenticity uh, is essential when you're talking about something highly technical as well. So if you can be a little bit more authentic, a little bit more um, easier to understand, it can go a long way in teaching and educating people, um, sure. which kind of plays that marketing uh, kind of uh, purview there. So um, I wanted to touch on a few things because in your bio, as we mentioned at the beginning, you worked at some great companies. You've got some great experiences. You worked across uh, several different um, segments there. Um, you've held leadership positions at some very strong companies. I wanted to hear your thoughts on maybe just one or two, or if you've got a couple more, let's let's hear it. But major learning moments along the way, pivotal moments, major learning moments. Um, you can touch on them, or, or you can dive into one. Let, let's let's dive into it, though. Let's hear it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I would say that one of the most critical learning moments that I've had in my life is. Uh, when I finally made the decision to stop playing golf. Um, that was something that uh, was difficult, also probably a long time coming, and, and I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, I was in Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada, uh, which is basically Alaska. I mean, it is way up there in Canada. It is the middle of nowhere, Yeah. and we, we had just gotten done playing the second round. I'm with my really good friend who I'm, I'm still friends with today, um, awesome. and we get off the course and I, I basically said, Hey man, I'm done. Like done. And he goes, what do you mean? Like, you're going to go home and practice for a week and I'll see you next week. I was like, no, um, I'm completely done. And if you don't enjoy what you're doing and if you're not having any fun and if you don't look forward to it, it's time to do something different. And, and that's basically where I was at. I knew it was a problem when I didn't want to practice anymore because I had always been a grinder. Um, I, I'd always loved to practice. Um, go out and, and spend eight hours and, and I just didn't want to do it. Um, and I also had, um, so, so that's a, an interesting story. And, and right after that, I talked to one of my best friends from college, uh, who, who plays out on the PGA tour. Now I've, I've always looked up to him. Uh, he's one of my best friends and an amazing mentor. And, and I asked him, I said, Hey man, am I, am I doing the wrong thing here? Like, should I keep going? And I was like, I, I want to do other things. And he basically asked me, he goes, Hey, can you, can you see yourself doing anything outside of playing golf? And I basically said, yeah, like there's a lot of things that I want to do. And he goes, well, there's your answer. Cause he goes, I can't do anything but play golf. I I'm literally worthless without, without it. So, um, that was a very, I remember it very vividly and, and realizing that if you don't like what you're doing, if there's no passion, you're, you're not going to succeed in it. Um, you, you might get somewhere, but at the end of the day, longevity is not going to happen. So, um, that, that was a, a, an absolutely critical moment. Um, and then, man, I made so many stake, mistakes early in my career. It's, it's really hard to pinpoint one. Um, but I, I literally from the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12 to 26, I've done one thing my whole life. Um, I, I knew nothing else. So uh, I was really close to going back um, and getting my business degree. I, was, I wanted to go back and get a master's uh, in business. And I, I had chatted with uh, some of my, my colleagues in golf um, and friends in golf that were, had already left and were into the business world. And also some of my sponsors from, from golfing um, mm -hmm. and, and some people that had been very, very successful in business. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about going and back and, and getting my master's and going back to school. But at, 
basically the same time I had a former college teammate come to me with the Phantom One, the old DJI Phantom One back in 2013. I did a little bit of research and, and literally found nothing on this industry. And I, when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Um, outside of military yeah. drones, there was yep. DJI was it. There, there, you were not going to find anything else but DJI. So I had this in my head. Um, but then I was also asking these people, you know, should I go back to school? Should I, should I go do this drone thing? Should I get into business? And every single one of them that I asked said, don't go to school. Just go, go learn, go, go, uh, figure it out, go, um, you know, learn the hard way. And, and so it's ultimately what I did. And in that first three and a half, four years, I mean, I can't tell you how many mistakes I made, but I would say that those are two points in my life that, um, I, I really look back on and, and realize it was uh, a really important step for me to take. And then I would say the third one, um, is probably when I met my wife and, um, what, what she's been able to teach me uh, about a lot of different things. And she's helped my professional career so much. I can't even tell you. Um, I tend to get uh, a little bit emotional and my friends on the golf course that I play golf with will tell you I can get <laughs> heated. Like that will happen. Um, and so that, that doesn't really serve you well in many cases, right? Uh, on the golf course, number one, but in business. So I've learned over time how to um, stay a little more level-headed and um, less emotional when it comes to decision-making. And, and I think that served me well. So I, I'd pinpoint those three kind of points in my life that um, have steered me in a, in a good direction. Amazing. Um, you, you touched on three really good ones um, uh, across the spectrum there. So I appreciate you diving into that. Um, I was curious just to learn a little bit more. Um, you, you mentioned a few different mentor, um, conversations during those different pivotal moments. Um, obviously switching and deciding to, to call it, you know, call it a day with your previous profession. Um, that's a tough, difficult decision. And I'm sure you relied on, uh, other mentor mentee relationships as well. You mentioned growing up, growing up on the golf course and, you know, meeting powerful business people, uh, meeting influential people from the community, um, maybe not knowing really what you wanted to do before uh, you quit or retired, um, but you knew there were other things that you could put, you could go and do. Um, tell me about a time where maybe you had to make a difficult decision like that, but really having someone guide you and teach you you know, maybe based on their experience in the past. My dad's got a, a famous quote um, from Yogi Berra. He's full of yogiisms. Um, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Um, but he's always, you know, I took this road and it worked out for me. But if I could go back, I would probably have tried the other fork. So tell me about maybe where you made a decision based off of a, a relationship or mentor-mentee relationship that way. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, and you know, which ties into what I've been kind of going over. I'm a pretty firm believer that if you're going to do anything, you need to commit to it and you need to be all in, um, 100%. And, you know, with golf, I did that. And, and now with my drone career, I've, I've done that. This is, this is what I do. Um, and, and, you know, I spend five or six days a week, uh, you know, nine or 10 hours a day doing this. So, um, you have to dive uh, head first and, and all in. And so I would say that that, uh, 
the question that you just asked about, you know, what was a point in time where I needed to rely on somebody to make a really difficult decision? And I would say that mm-hmm. uh, the, the one that really pops into my mind, the forefront of my mind is when uh, it was time to shut down the first business. Um, wow. That was not only an ego check, uh, that was uh, a financial decision. That was a personal decision. Uh, there's so many factors that go into like, it's a very fine line, right? If you're a business leader or an entrepreneur or, or wanting to be an executive, um, you you have to have this fine line of, of ego and confidence versus humility and self-awareness of, I believe what I'm doing. I think it can happen, but Hey, is this actually working? Um, so I hit that point uh, after about yeah. three and a half years with uh, having my own company in the drone space. And so that was a point of where it was cut ties, shut it down, look for the next thing um, or, or or keep going. And so uh, ultimately, we obviously decided to shut it down. But the decision making process there um, was a difficult one. And so I relied on quite a few people, mostly in the business world on that one. Uh, you know, talking about every characteristic of the business. Um, and at the end of the day, the answer was no. And it was the best decision that uh, I'd ever made. And um, so, uh, again, up until that point, I'd never had a job. Um, you know, I I played golf, right? I, I was always my own boss. Uh, always, Everything was always on my shoulders. No different with the business. Um, you can call it a job, kind of. But I didn't have a salary, that's for sure. <laughs> you you got to bring in revenue to have a salary. So full time, but also an, an incredible learning experience. And so, you know, this is when uh, Nevada had just announced that they were going to be a test site uh, for the FAA. And so I had already been doing a little bit of work for them. And I said, hey, we're shutting down the business. Do you guys have any positions open? And I, I sit down and this is a great golf story. So I sit down with the executive director. Uh, who is working directly for Governor Sandoval uh, of Nevada at the time. And we sit down for, for my first interview with him. And he asked me to tell him, you know, tell him a little bit about myself and, and my history. Um, and I said, you know, I, I came out here from LA. Um, I played golf at UNLV for, for five years. Uh, and he stopped me right there. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You played golf at UNLV? It's like, yeah, yeah. I was played for Coach Knight. And he goes, my son's dream is to play for the UNLV golf team. So as you can imagine, the rest of that conversation was not about drones. It was not about business. It was 100% about golf. So that it's a, it's a great lesson, right? For uh, anyone that is is playing a sport, like use the network. It, it, maybe using is the wrong word, but don't be scared of the network that you've built uh, doing whatever you're doing because it will come back and help. Um, that and that's just a perfect example, right? So you know, I got the job. Yeah. <laughs> which was like my first job at, at the age of 20, whatever. And so um, it, it's a it's a pretty interesting story. But yeah, I'd say that that was a, a really difficult decision to shut it down and, and go on to the next thing. Yeah. To your point on, um, you know, using or leveraging your, your background, uh, your student athlete career, your uh, club sport, your semi-pro, amateur, or your professional career, Leverage it. It's part of you. It's what's made Absolutely. you who you are. Um, it's definitely shaped you in so many different ways to handle pressure situations. Hey, I've watched golf 
plenty of times on weekends. And uh, it looks so easy to make a, you know, a putt. They say it's like 20 feet, but it looks like it's five. Uh, and it goes in every time. Um, but then I go out there and I can tell you, a three-footer, when everything's on the line with your, your friends on a golfcation, uh, the pressure's on. Um, but again, um, leverage that. Learn so much from it and, and bring that into your business life and use it. Um, there's so many people like you, Brett, um, you know, people that haven't made yep. professional like me, but played at a high level in college and, yep. um, you know, know people that are in business that respect that you've been through tough, regimented schedules, travel. You have to be up at a certain time. You have to treat your body a certain way. You have to uh, also balance other things. Uh, there's so much more to it than just the luxury of playing a sport that people enjoy watching. So, um, curious on that front you've probably had a lot of um opportunities to mentor people um whether it's okay you're thinking about going to college or you're you're thinking about turning pro um there's so many different segments there for you to be able to step in and mentor them and and give guidance um you know how do you help in a professional sense um in work how do you help colleagues or young students or even executives, how do you help them grow themselves professionally to get the most out of their potential? It's another really good question. And and going back to the pressure thing, I've never felt more pressure in, in my business life um, than I did on a mini tour, having to make a four footer on a Friday afternoon to make the cut or, or else you're not going to get paid that week. Like that's pressure. The, the PGA tour is not pressure, period. The, where, where the pressure is, is down on the mini tours or at Q school where you don't make this little three or four foot. And trust me, three or four feet looks really long. And especially when your hands are shaking like crazy, uh, to make a putt, to miss the cut or get your tour card or whatever it may be. Um, that's mm -hmm. serious pressure. And so, you know, heading into the business world, it translates perfectly. Um, if you are confident when you're prepared. Right. The, the more you prepare, the more you practice, the more you do, the, the more confident you're going to be. And so if I'm going into a big pitch or, or a big meeting, uh, whatever it may be, it's, it's just about preparation and taking care of the small things. There, there's so many lessons in college sports that you learn um, that translate perfectly. Right. Like taking care of the small things, being on time, taking care of yourself, doing all these things that um, you, you ultimately come to take for granted, but they really are important. And so I just try and take the lessons that I've learned over the years in both sports and, uh, and business and, and try and, uh, communicate them and, and listen. Um, I think it helps to be really competitive. Like I hate being bad at stuff and I really don't like losing as, as I'm sure you're the same way. Uh, and, and a lot exactly. of anyone that plays sports is going to be highly competitive. And that is such a benefit, um, in, in the business world and is hating to lose. And so. Whenever I have somebody younger or, or I have an employee or a colleague that is looking for some advice or, or needs some guidance or needs some help, um, it, it's more about communication um, and, and listening and being uh, very self-aware, right? There's, I don't think there's any more toxic or you know, negative thing that you can do um, in, in the business world than... Uh, think you know more than you actually know and, and act like you know things that you don't actually know about. 
you almost have no chance if you're going to do that because there's always someone smarter in the room than you. And if, if you think that yeah. you're always the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble. Um, and so when, whenever I, I, I try and help somebody out, um, that's kind of the approach that I take is, is listen. And then, uh, so every company I've ever had, every job I've ever had, anybody that I work with closely, I ask them all the same thing. I say, Hey, where do you want to be in, in five to 10 years? Where do you want your career to be? And what do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? Um, and you can find out a lot from those two questions and really help guide somebody based on those two questions. Um, because yep. at the end of the day, if you have somebody in HR that hates it and would rather be in marketing, I promise you they're going to do a better job in marketing. Um, and, and building a startup, it's, it's, it's rings so true. Um, because the first 20 people in this company are laying the foundation for the entire company moving forward. And if somebody's in a role that they don't like, they don't enjoy, it's not going to work out well. So I, I just always try and take that kind of perspective when I, I go into these conversations with colleagues, employees, uh, anybody who asks me questions. But um, that that kind of uh, segues into something that long term when, you know, um, I probably have a little more time, um, a little more energy, and, and I'm on to probably the next thing later in life. Um, I really, really want to build something that helps ex-professional athletes uh, convert over to the, the normal world. Because um, like you said, there is a huge number. You, you look at the people that play. Let, let's start from high school, right? You are a great high school, whatever. Football, basketball, baseball, golf, doesn't matter. Yeah, cool. So the chances of you going to an NCAA Division One school are what? Less than 1%, maybe 1%. Okay. Yep. All right. And then playing four years at Division One, you're really good. Like really, really good. And then the odds of you having a long standing career in that sport, the percentage is almost zero. Almost zero. And yeah. You think about that and you have to have a little bit of humility, right? When, when you take that perspective, like, of course, you should believe to your core deep down inside of you that you're going to make it, but the chances are not that high. And it's a crushing thing when you get to a point of where you've realized that you're not going to make it, you're not going to do it. And you've put in all these years, all these hours, all this sacrifice. It can crush a lot of people. And I have so many friends that haven't made it in golf um, that are not real thrilled with what they got going on afterwards. Um, and and it, it's kind of horrible to see because if you can be that good at something like golf or whatever sport it may be, you can do it anywhere else. Um, but that is a very difficult thing for people to convert from of, of being number one, the best in most cases and at the top echelon of anything. And then going down to the very bottom of something that can have a very damaging effect on people's relationships, psyche, uh, all the above. Um, and I definitely went through that period for a little while and, and found my way out of it. But, um, you know, later in life, I think that that's something that I'll, I, I'd want to do, um, is, is help athletes be able to do that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, there's some folks I, I know that would love to network with you and and maybe you get that started sooner rather than later i know you've got a lot on your plate but um some extra minds around the table could figure out a way to make it happen yeah um, yeah let's talk but about as it you're, yeah as you're looking forward um let's let's go a little bit shorter term here as you're looking forward uh to this year the next five years even um 
what trends do you anticipate your industry embracing as it moves forward? I know the, the drone world, as you mentioned, in 2013, you could search drones and DJI came up and that was it. Um, I think over the last year, I think we've all seen drones are a lot more prevalent. They're being used for things that aren't just toys in the backyard. They're delivering food to people's um, you know, places of business or they're bringing uh, medical supplies to people that can't get out of the house and travel to the hospital to get their, their shot or their test. So tell me, what trends should we anticipate in your industry as the year goes forward and as time progresses? So let's, let's start with that question at the macro level and work down to micro. Um, you know, basically one year ago from basically today or maybe next week is, is when the pandemic started and every single person on this planet's life changed. Uh, uh, pretty much immediately. And I think that that, that damaging effect from COVID, um, changed everything. Like the way people do business, um, the way consumers interact, the, the expectations of technology. Um, I think that COVID was the catapult to the next revolution of IoT and, and the next, um, industrial revolution. Uh, it, literally, I, I, I think that that's the case because every business in the world right now has to cut expenses, has to become more lean, has to find new ways of doing business through robots and automation. And because at the end of the day, look at how big of a liability and risk people can be. You have to have some version of robotics and automation in your business that, of course, are being controlled by humans. Um, and, and I'm a pretty firm believer that automation... Uh, and IoT are not going to take away jobs. They are simply going to repurpose them. So I, I really am not a big fan when I hear people talk about, oh, yeah, you guys are going to take jobs and all this automation technology is just going to remove jobs from the workspace. Right. The history says differently. Um, it, it will be a different type of job. Absolutely. Um, the, let's take like uh, transmission line inspection from a drone, right? What they did uh, before is put some guys in a truck, maybe once a year, go out, drive up to it, put them up in a crane. They visually look at the inspection and then they write it down on a piece of paper. Okay. So that's what they're doing now. What they will be doing because it's cheaper, faster, and easier is they're going to fly a drone and create a 3D model of that asset. And they're going to have a dude sitting in a command center looking at the imagery, someone from the GIS department and sending that out to the maintenance crews faster, easier, cheaper. And that's just one example. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in the drone industry, obviously. Uh, I think it's going to be a better way to do a lot of things. But um, so, you know, that's kind of the macro in the way that I, I view what's happened in 2020 heading into 2021. Um, and I also think that, uh, you know, once this vaccine is distributed and, and we kind of get out of this whole problem, we're going to go into a period of unbelievable innovation, um, un unbelievable technologies that we've never thought of or seen. And I think that the consumer's acceptance um, and understanding of technology is better now because of this. And um, so I'm excited about a lot of things, frankly. Uh, I think the drone industry is going to be an amazing place moving forward. DJI has had lion's share, 90% market share since I got into it. DJI is an unbelievable company. They are incredible in so many ways. 
Um, the, the way they've been able to get their technology into the hands of consumers, enterprise, industrial, public safety is, is truly something that's remarkable. But no healthy industry can have one company with 90% market share. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And we're seeing that right now. So with, with all of the issues that DJI is facing, I think that domestic drone companies, I think that domestic software companies in our space are going to absolutely skyrocket um, and, and really create competitive technologies. And like I was saying earlier, like I'm a competitive guy. I, I really hate losing. And that, that breeds innovation, that breeds uh, technologies. Um, and, and I'm really excited about our company. Uh, I think that we have a founder and CEO who's remarkable. Um, I, we were talking about being, being the, not being the smartest person in the room. I'm that every single day. And, uh, so I, I want to give a little bit of background on our founder and CEO because it's a cool story and yeah. it, it ties really into what we've been talking about a lot today. Um, Blake is, uh, our founder and CEO, born and raised in Las Vegas. Uh, he graduated high school when he was 14 years old. He built a nuclear fuse reactor and other things that I don't even know how to say. Uh, in his garage when he was like eight, nine, 10 years old, um, went to Northwestern School of Engineering at the age of 15, was the youngest ever, uh, left after a semester because it was, you know, wasting his time and he didn't like it. So he went and interned at McLaren in London, uh, Tesla, and then DJI. And he started Brink in his garage about three years ago. And what you see behind me here, although this is a podcast, so uh, bear with me, but it's a, it's a solar powered 600 pound self-sustaining drone in a box. And so his original concept was to put this at 50 mile increments along the border, say, Hey, um, White House, we do not need to build a physical border wall. I've built you a mesh networked self-sustaining 24 seven surveillance via drone, uh, ton of regulatory hurdles. But, um, so Blake pivoted and right after the October 1st Mandalay Bay shootings here in Las Vegas, it inspired him to build the product that's currently on the market for us, which is called the Lemur. It's an indoor tactical drone for SWAT teams. And again, that October 1st shooting was the inspiration for the product. He thought to himself, how can I build something that could have saved people's lives? How could I have built something that if the SWAT team had had this, they would have been able to scale up the front of Mandalay Bay. They would have been able to clear every room and ultimately go in that window that he was shooting out of. And so uh, Blake literally built this entire concept by himself. Then he pivoted and he built the lemur in a three and a half month period. He cold called the Las Vegas SWAT team, said, Hey, I think I can build something for you guys. Um, and, and not to mention he was like 19 years old when this happened. Right. So, um, he went on 25 call outs with the SWAT team, uh, over a six month period learned everything that they would need for an indoor tactical system and built it in three and a half months. And that's how you got the lemur. And uh, this company, he was bootstrapping everything, doing everything himself. And then in November, he raised a $2.3 million seed round. We're all here. There's about 15 to 20 of us now and, and getting ready to raise a series A. Um, so I, I'm unbelievably excited about this company. Um, I'm fortunate and grateful and lucky to be around an entrepreneur like Blake um, and some of the talent that we have here at Brink Drones. And um, it, it's going to be a really, really fun ride um, here for the for the foreseeable future. So that's kind of macro down to micro. Amazing. Yeah. 
In short, that was amazing. Um, it's like you said, uh, everything over the past year, um, all the, the bad things, the terrible things that have happened has really bred uh, some serious innovation um, across across the spectrum. Um, so it's really exciting to see that growth, that innovation. I can't wait to look back at a history book, you know, in 10 years, 20 years. Heck, maybe my, my grandchildren, God willing, one day will tell me, oh, my gosh, Grandpa, you know, drones back then. Um, can't wait to hear the stories and see the growth. Um, it, it's remarkable and love what y'all are doing, Brett, there at Brink Drones. And um, want to wrap things up here and, and, uh, and really enjoy this part of it as we wrap up. Um, usually every guest, we ask a favorite quote, um, something that maybe, you know, means something special to you, a favorite quote, you know, why uh, you can relate it. Really, what motivates you in your professional work or what rings true in a professional setting. But um, always enjoy sharing these, these quotes. Uh, with business leaders like yourself um, and, and allowing people to hear that and what makes it special to you. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I have two two quotes that come to mind. Uh, the first one is one that uh, my college golf coach, uh, Coach Dwayne Knight, hammered into our heads uh, every day of the week, uh, usually at uh, 5.30 in the morning on a treadmill. And he would say to us on repeat, uh, find a way. And that has always stuck with me. And, you know, he's basically saying no excuses, but find a way is, uh, I think, more impactful and more meaningful than, than no excuses. So uh, find a way is absolutely one uh, quote that I, I try and live by uh, and figure it out. Right. Like I, I know my my kids yeah. probably don't like me saying figure it out. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to figure it out. Um, so So that's definitely one. Um, and, and then probably one other quote, which is a little softer, probably a little more philosophical is move like water. Um, and don't get married to anything too much. Don't let things impact you and, and just move around things the way water does. Bruce Lee said, uh, coined that, uh, move like water. So yeah, a, a Bruce Lee quote. I love it. Coach Knight, Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah, two different two. spectrums there. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, Brett, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on this podcast of Knowledge is Power. Some really impactful knowledge that you shared with us um, that people of all um, stages in their career can listen to and, and take something away from. Um, thanks again for joining. And to all of our listeners and guests, we look forward to our next episode coming up. And until then, thank you all very much. Thanks for having me, Brandon. It was a lot of fun.